QUT acknowledges the Turrbal and Yugara as the First Nations owners of the lands where QUT now stands. We pay respects to their elders, laws, customs and creation spirits. We recognise that these lands have always been places of teaching, research and learning. QUT acknowledges the important role Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people play within the QUT community. And here at How To Academia, we also acknowledge that these lands have never been ceded. Welcome to How To Academia. Leaving high school and joining the world of uni can be a weird and difficult time. On this podcast, we talk to our friends, students and academics to find out how they went about the process of developing professional skills, dealing with challenges and generally navigating the gooey mess of being a human in the academic world. Our guest this episode is Hayden Smith. Hayden is a recent graduate from the Queensland University of Technology with his newly minted Bachelor of Justice. I'll let him go into more detail about his majors and minors because they're really cool and you deserve to hear them from him. On this episode, Hayden and Jody chat about Hayden's work in community corrections, his previous work fixing surfboards and working in bars, and how people, despite their differences, are all connected by common humanity and we all need a little support sometimes. Just a note, Hayden mentions he graduated in July. For context, this interview was recorded in August 2022, about a month later. Without any further ado, Hayden Smith. Welcome to How To Academia. Who are you? I'm Hayden Smith. I am a recent graduate of QUT, so I graduated in the July graduation ceremony. Finished with a Bachelor's of Justice, majoring in Policy and Governance, and minoring in Indigenous Knowledge Systems. Wow. Yeah. You are actually the first student that I've met who's minored in Indigenous Knowledge Systems, so we're going to talk about that. But let's talk about how did you pick a Bachelor of Justice? I was at a point in my life where I needed a career change, basically. I wanted to do something where I felt like I was making a difference in the world and I wanted to be able to provide for my family. And I thought that justice is probably an avenue that a lot of people don't really consider. I wasn't too interested in the police force. I was very much uh, looking at corrections and getting involved in that side of things. And that's sort of how I just went, you know what, I'm a policy nerd, so I love like legislation and things like that. I really was into that before I was studying. And then I just went, you know what, this is something that I reckon I could be good at. And my partner was very encouraging in being like, you know what, you should do it. Just take the leap. What did you do before? I was, well, before I started studying, I was making surfboards and working in a pub in New South Wales. Yes. Um, So I did that for about six to 12 months. And then me and my partner moved to Brisbane and that's when I decided to go to study. And at that point I got a job at a servo. How does policy nerds get to making surfboards? Regional New South Wales doesn't have a lot of opportunities. I'm from a very small coastal town of about 3,000 people. And my dad's mate was the guy who ran the factory. I'd always loved surfing. It was a passion of mine and I was thought it might be a good creative outlet for me and I just hit him up and he was like you know what just come and try it and see how you go but eventually it ended up being a situation where I couldn't manage the two jobs so I had to 
stick with the bar job because the money was more consistent, which was quite disappointing, but I guess I learned a lot and I save a lot of money now on ding repairs, so that's good. I've got a few ding repairs in transition boards. <laughs> I hook you up with them. Look, it's all possible. Everything's possible. Uh, if it's fiberglass, it can be done. Yeah. What did you learn about people working in a pub? Everyone's different, but they're all the same. So Tell me more. Like, people... Everyone thinks, and this is a tourist town, so you'll think over summer the population goes from 3,000 to 12,000, like, in a week. Yeah. So it's a big tourist crowd versus a very steady local crowd, and the local crowd obviously very stuck in their ways. They're there all year. It's our town versus the tourist crowd, which is like, I'm only here for a little bit. I want to have fun. Why is this carpet from 1985? <laughs> <laughs> Sort of, sort of situation. So yeah, it's you learn a lot about people working in a pub and you learn a lot about dealing with pressure, I guess, and being under the pump because Anzac Day at a pub is... Insane. Insane. It is the busiest work that anyone will ever do. Yeah, wow. And so you're a policy nerd. How did, what did that look like before studying? Just like, I don't know, Ozpol Twitter, very prominent. <laughs> no. Like, it was very much just like, I've always been interested in how governments work, how our lives are, I guess, operated and dominated by these rules that nobody really pays attention to, but they all exist and we all just abide by them generally. Yeah. Now that I work in the correction centre, I am now involved with a lot of people who don't abide by those rules and I get to see what that looks like for people. But I guess for me, being in that environment and sort of, like, I'm in a small town, I don't have a lot of interests outside of the ocean, basically. So I'm like, what gets me going? Mm. And it's like thinking about how do I make a difference in this world? Like, how am I going to leave my mark going forward? And I guess that's how the policy stuff sort of came about. Where does that desire to make a difference come from? I guess mostly... I'd probably say from my parents. My father's a tradesman, or he was for most of his life. He now works in a hospital. And my mother is a nurse. So, yeah. and they have quite a large family. Like, I'm one of five kids. And they, we didn't have a lot growing up, but we always had what we needed. And I guess from that point, I've always been taking care of my family or, like, helping out my family. And it just translates to the rest of the world, basically, yeah. from that point onwards. I guess that was the seed. I love that, like that, there's a bit of an ethic of care in there. Yeah, I think to work in corrections especially, you have to have empathy and that want to care and help people because it's a very tough environment and a lot of your clients that you are supervising, because I work in community corrections, a lot of the clients that we supervise, they haven't had a lot of support in their lives. Mm. And once they see that people care about them, you do start to see a difference. Sometimes it takes a little bit longer than you would hope for, but if you just get that moment of clarity within them going forward, that's a huge success. So let's talk about your role. What is your role? I am a probation services officer. So my role is quite different to what that actually looks like for a lot of PSOs. So in most offices, that's community service and what we sort of define as like low risk clientele. In our office, there's two of us and my co-worker does 
all the community service side and I do all of the low risk and some what we define as standard clients. So I guess a lot of my role is just supervising people who the courts have deemed require community supervision, but agency assessments have determined that it's all about resource application, yeah. being a policy nerd resources. So these people, although they are important and they need to be supervised, how we supervise them, and then you've got things like labelling theory, over-servicing. If you put too much on someone who may only need a little bit of assistance, will you actually make them worse or will you help them? Um, yeah. versus applying our resources to the people who we definitely need to apply those more resources to. What made you interested in working in corrections? <laughs> Security. <laughs> <laughs> those blessed government jobs. Blessed government jobs. Yeah, realistically, that was a big factor for me. Yeah. I, I looked at the government as a whole and went, what's an area where I can make a difference but I can also have a good life and provide for my family and corrections is sort of like one of those things that nobody really thinks about but is there and is quite permanent it's not going anywhere Mm. it's always going to exist in some form and there's always going to be a requirement for people to be in those roles so I thought you know what that's something that might interest me I wasn't too sure until I actually went into an office on my first day of placement and then I was like okay yeah this is what I want to do I'm yeah that's so excellent that placement gave you that kind of space to figure that out was it what you expected it wasn't it was a lot different to what I thought it was going to be I thought you know movie sort of adaptations of a probation and parole office like just so hectic and then I went into the office and I was like wow like this is like such a cool environment like what these people do and like the motivations behind what everyone does was very like, I, I want to be a part of this. And then fortunately I ended up working in the office I did my placement at. So I guess that team and that sense of camaraderie of everyone's trying to support each other, that was something that was sort of like big for me. And I was like, you know what, that's actually something that I can see myself doing. All right, I'm going to treat this as like basically a giant job in the view and just pump this out and try and get a job out of it. I totally love that. What a win. Was the clients that you work with, were they what you expected? Yes and no. So the region I'm from is quite low socioeconomic area. So I have a lot of experience and exposure to those that criminal element throughout my entire, so I guess, childhood and early adolescence. So I had some familiarity, but I never imagined the scale of people that you would see come through a community corrections office. So people from all walks of life for all manner of reasons whatever has happened in their lives they've ended up in a situation where they're now on community supervision and it's our job to sort of be like okay well how can we help you not come back we have this weird business model where we're trying to get rid of repeat business basically so we're trying to help and put supports in place for these people once they're off supervision because ultimately that period is going to end but their lives are going to keep going after Mm. that point um you're a young bloke and all of your clients are not young people i'm assuming you have a range of i guess age ranges and life experiences and expectations and if you do have repeat offenders then it'll people with a lot more exposure to the criminal justice system than i guess you've had Does being a young bloke impact on your work? 
I wouldn't say that it does. I think it's actually an asset because I am not a product of the system up to that point. So I haven't, I'm actually coming into a really interesting time in corrections following the Sofranoff review and the, all of the changes that are happening with probation and parole. I'm inserted into a point where corrections, particularly in Queensland, is really growing and it's becoming this really... It's a lot different now from what I've heard to what it used to be like. It used to be very much compliance-based, like you need to do what we tell you, do this, do that sort of thing, whereas now we're moving into this space of focusing a lot more on rehabilitation, helping people, being empathetic to their situation and treating everyone as an individual rather than a one-size-fits-all type policy because everything that's going on with everyone is so different Mm -hmm. and everyone's got their own challenges, especially in Brisbane at the moment, housing crisis, all that sort of stuff. It's all impacting our clients at a really unique level that I guess you don't really have exposure to if you're not working in that space. I mean, it's the... like. We know that housing crisis, inflation, when everything gets more expensive, it massively disproportionately impacts on people with low socioeconomic and criminal records and who, not that the two are the same thing at all, but that all of that kind of compounds. You said earlier that when you show people that you care, that makes a difference in their lives. How do you do that in a professional sense? Being accountable being approachable, being there for them and and setting setting the standards and like what you're expecting of them, but then also what they can expect of you and backing that up with actions. So if I say that I'm gonna do something, I'm gonna do it and I'm not gonna make false promises that I can't keep because at the end of the day, it's those little disappointments and letdowns in the system for a lot of these people that have sort of spiralled them Mm. into where they're at and a loss of faith in like what the government represents for them because they've only been not only been but I guess negatively disproportionately affected by the government in those ways and those attitudes that they may have that have been built up over time just eroding them by showing them that you're a human you you're also a human being you have things Um, But in that space, we're trying to assist you and put you in a place where you can live a great life. Is there anything that you think is particularly helpful for people? I would would say the biggest thing that helps people is just being um, open. So being open to criticism, I guess, from your peers and stuff like that, but then also being open to accepting that other people have a different perspective on the world than what you have and trying to be empathetic and see it from where they're coming from. Empathy is the big thing that's going to help you in this in this industry or in this field because putting yourself in another person's shoes, if you've never experienced a life, anything like that, just trying to see it from their side. I mean, it's so different to, I guess, old school criminal justice that is about compliance to be wanting to think about and engage in that empathetic approach that takes a level of emotional labor yeah definitely so self-care is quite big within the agency to promote and for i guess us as people who work on the front lines to understand when you're close to reaching your breaking point 
being able to debrief openly with either your management or your peers and having those safe spaces where you can talk about what's going on because you're absorbing a lot every day and it's sometimes quite hard to not take it home with you so it's about I guess building a barrier where you can get rid of what's really stressing you out whilst you're still in the workplace so that you don't take it home and affect your family in your safe space because that's a very tough thing to differentiate between work, home and play. What have you found most useful in terms of (laughs) self-care? Heavy music. I've always been a heavy music fan, so that wasn't anything big. But for me, it's um, the trip home. So using the trip home as to my advantage, I catch public transport. So it takes a little bit longer, but I'm okay with that. Yeah. And sometimes I might catch the ferry to be out in nature, get a bit of wind and breeze, some sun in the morning or afternoon, and just, just sort of try to break it up and be like, you know what? Yes, it's work, but work is work and if I take work home what is that actually going to accomplish if I am thinking all day and night about what happened in the workplace by the time I get to work the next day I'm already tired from work and I haven't even started and then you compound another day on top of that how's that going to affect you so it's really just differentiating okay that's work I need to leave work at work transition it's all about transitions. Yeah. <laughs> it totally is about transitions. I used to live on Maclay Island, and I tell you, that ferry ride at the end of the day, where you just had that opportunity to get the wind in your hair, and it was just that solid break of leaving something behind, was so important to oh, just yeah, let go. For sure. Like, transitions between spaces is so important, and I think you build it up as you go through life, but once you sort of master those transition spaces you actually get to a point where you can quite easily shift from one to another which really helps but yes nature get out in nature (laughs) debrief you live in brisbane you have amazing public transport with the ferry system utilize it yeah sure it takes like an extra 15 to 20 minutes but at the end of the day that 15 to 20 minutes is less valuable than the what you're actually getting out of it yeah the um that just that decompression time is so important to work into your day so let's talk about your degree then. I'm intrigued about your Indigenous Justice minor. Tell me all about that. It's always been a passion of mine and something that I was very interested in and was a big factor in why I started studying at QUT. I saw it and I went, wow, that's really interesting. That's something that I want to be a part of. Unfortunately, they actually cancelled it. (laughs) And I had to get it reinstated because I'd already done it. Yeah, right. (laughs) But they didn't tell me. Bureaucracy's man. Bureaucracy, yes, exactly. But the university was really accommodating and was like, you know what, look, you've actually already done, you've done the work, so we'll make it happen because that's only fair. And I would recommend to all students out there, even if you just do one subject operated out of their Indigenous learning school. I can't remember the name of it for life. Yeah, the Udran Centre. Do it. It's really eye-opening. A lot of people haven't had an exposure to First Nations ways of thinking and it really shifts how you think about how you're going to apply yourself in your field. It doesn't matter what field you're in, it can be applied to every field because it's just shifting that mentality of how you see the world 
versus how First Nations people and First Nations knowledge systems are reflective of, I guess, colonisation, Westernised society and that sort of stuff. What was your biggest takeaway that's relevant in your work now? Culturally safe practice. I work in an industry that unfortunately disproportionately affects Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people and being able to operate in that space comfortably knowing that I am operating in a culturally safe manner with my clients from First Nations background gives me a lot of, I guess, satis- not satisfaction, but confidence that I'm not inflicting further harm on somebody accidentally and being confident in asking questions around what's your mob where you're from when was the last time you went back to country how's your spirit things like that that people may not necessarily be aware of are okay questions to ask somebody of a first nations background and it can actually have a significant difference on how they will respond to you yeah i think that's that's incredibly important in just that recognition level demonstrating that that you're doing things a little bit different for First Nations people who have just had the same barrage of the criminal justice system in their lives. Was there a big takeaway in your life otherwise from the Indigenous knowledges? I guess for me it's always just been something where like, I've always felt there's so much that we could have taken from Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander ways of being that could have applied to Australian society that would have made it a lot not I want don't want to say better but a lot different mm. um, and I think we're sort of starting to see the effects of that following like the 2019 bushfires the climate emergency that we're currently living in how we take care of this country versus how we potentially should have been taking care of this country I think is going to be a big thing that emerges over the next 25 to 50 years and hopefully we're going to reach a point where we're really applying indigenous knowledge systems basically to how we operate within this space because we're quite blessed in this country to have what we have but if we don't respect it the way that it needs to be respected it will eventually erode and we won't have it anymore yeah and take a good chunk of us out with it I think. Yes, yeah. I think we saw that in 2019, how affected people are by wildfire. And, you know, we have to operate within the system we're operating within, but I think there's a lot of change that could quite easily be made that would not erase that, but definitely increase the chance of it not happening or decrease the chance of it happening. And you're in fire country. Yeah, amazing book. Amazing. (laughs) So great. There's a recommendation for you all, people, fire country, get into it. So you also did policy and politics. What was your big takeaway from that? Oh, Jesus. Um, Understanding. (laughs) It's such a difficult space that people work in. And you think... You know, you have, like, conversations with people around, oh, hey, we could fix this. And you're like, yeah, you ever can fix it. And then you're like, really think about it. And you're like, but how? Like, how, yeah. how we apply resources? Again, it all comes back to resource application. And unfortunately, we have finite resources and we have infinite problems. So how are we dealing with it and applying it in certain ways? And, I like, I really enjoyed just like that sort of just like not so much about specifically around like Australian politics and like parties and things like that yeah relevant cool definitely but 
for me it was more so i guess operational practices like how people get legislation pushed through the Mm. parliament what's the process like who's consulted who's not consulted stakeholder applications stakeholder meetings things like that where like that's actually really relevant to what i do now because i am constantly engaged with stakeholders for my clients to try and get them support basically and having those skills and knowing okay we work within a system what's the system how do we do this let's let's do this together because ultimately i want to get a good result you want to get a good result and our client wants to get a good result so what can we do to make this happen what would you say to people it's a big risk asking a policy no this i understand what would you say to people who would say is policy not hideously dull (laughs) it's hideously dull to read and because it's just it's just a barrage of words and terms that for most people they're just like that doesn't even make sense but i guess the nuts and bolts of it and why it's created that's what really i am invested in and what i think about is like the real world application of a policy okay it's all fair and well to say we want to do this let's make it happen but how are you going to do it Mm. like and what are the failures of the past the people that have tried to do that and they failed miserably because of this that the other like there's so many different variables in place and you can have the world's best intentions and the best plan research and everything backing you up but then you just can't get it to work when it hits the ground and i guess that's the big thing with policies like it's it's such a dynamic environment where everything's constantly changing so you need to adapt to the world around you and what may have been a good idea now is not going to be a good idea in 10 years or wasn't a good idea 10 years ago so how are we adjusting the idea because unfortunately it's a reactive space it's not necessarily a proactive space as much as it probably could be where you're okay there's a problem how do we fix it instead of this it may be a problem how do we prevent it from being a problem it's so interesting that I think there is this big thing we crave in criminal justice that one size will fit all and we'll find that magic bullet thing that will just make crime go away. <laughs> and it just is not a reality at all. It's, yeah, it's not... Unfortunately, there's no two circumstances that will have the same result. So, yeah, we, we can't fix it in one go. It's not going to go away. And, you know, statistics say that as the population increases, the crime grows with it. Like, yeah. you don't get more crime, but you get more crime because you have a higher percentage of the population engaging in criminal element. That's just... That's very basic statistics of justice and criminal justice. But I guess for us at QCS, we're really trying as hard as we can to sort of identify strategies and make it a bit more flexible on our staff to be like, you know what, how are we going to do this? What what are you seeing? You're the person that sees this person all the time. What do you see and how do we help this person address their criminogenic needs? Like their, you know, their attitudes, their peers, their things that have led up to this point. It wasn't... Um, Sometimes it may have been a split-second decision, but for a lot of people, there's been a build-up. There's been other factors at play, and if we address those other factors, do we get to a point where this person may be able to 
disassociate themselves and desist from crime and start to lead a pro-social lifestyle. It's so interesting to me sitting here, Hayden, because I hear you using all of these words that we use <laughs> when we teach undergrads, like criminogenic needs and pro-social lifestyle and desistance. And are you, I guess, conscious of the way that your degree plays into your current work practice and understanding? Oh, definitely. Like, without the building blocks that I gained whilst I was studying, I probably would have entered the criminal justice space and been like, what? What is all this stuff? Whereas for me, like I said, we're coming into a very exciting time in Queensland where it's evidence-based practice. I've been doing evidence-based research for three years. That's all I've been focusing on is... Yes, you have. ...is evidence-based things. So all of this stuff makes sense to me and I can apply it quite... Not easily, but I have the... I guess, background information to apply it because I've done it and I've had feedback from my lecturers and things like that on, hey, this is good, but maybe you should think about this. Have you looked at this? Did you do your readings? No. Okay, maybe you should have done your readings because that would have told you this, this and this. Like, as you go through university and you grow and you learn as an academic, even though I'm only an undergrad, like, it still shows that, it gives you that what you start off and how you start in your first year versus how you do things in your third year is just it's like two different people basically and I guess that's the point and that's how the structure is set up it's building a little pyramid year by year and then when you get to your final year I guess that's when you're like okay how am I going to apply this in the real world what am I going to try to do and then sort of zeroing in on a particular topic or field or something that you're like, you know what, that's my area of interest because I have all of this information that I've built up and it all applies to this thing that I really like and I want to go through forward with. Side note, do you miss the library? (sighs) Tough one for me. I did a lot of mine externally. So I worked full-time throughout my entire degree. So studied full-time, worked full-time and parented full time (laughs) yeah so my library for me was online for the most part I think I did my first session on campus first session and a half on campus and then COVID yeah so from that and then once I went external it was very hard to go back because I was I had had a baby I was working full time like in a managerial position so I was like quite busy I was like I just can't go back to campus but the QUT library website is the best website on earth if you know how to operate it you can find anything quick as quick as you can you just have to know how to operate it so do the library courses they're great I mean totally do the library courses because this is the thing for me when I, I mean when I was working in industry and I went from studying to working in industry and as studying you have like at the tip of your fingers all of these databases that you, you want to know something you just go into the database and you find the evidence for what you need and then when you go out in industry that's just gone literally just just disappeared and you're like oh what was that like what was that assignment i did like two years ago was that reference i swear it was really good reference and maybe that will help me but yeah like take advantage of the library website it's amazing unfortunately the um pre-populated apa sites weren't working towards the end of my degree so i had to learn how to reference properly but that was probably beneficial because my referencing marks increased significantly (laughs) (laughs) how how did you balance 
working and studying and relationshiping, including <laughs> with a small child, full time? I have no idea. I couldn't have done it without the support of my partner. She was very helpful in just supporting me and being allowing me to be in a space where I could do it. A lot of late nights, developed a taste for coffee, which I didn't previously have at all. So yeah, three years ago, didn't drink coffee, hated it. Now I'm like, oh, 3pm, give me coffee. But I guess it's planning was my big thing. I At the start of every session, I had to map out my subjects, my assignments, my assignment dates, because I knew I couldn't do it at the last minute. Mm. Something was going to come up that was going to prevent me from doing it at the last minute and just chipping away at it when I could, watching TV, doing readings, just trying to do it on the weekends or late at night or I was working mostly throughout my degree at a servo, so I was working from 5 to 1 in the morning, so I had a little bit of a couple of hours in the afternoon where I could do some study before I had to go and pick my daughter up from daycare and that was just maximising the time, so being like, okay, focus on this and if I wasn't getting anywhere just leaving it and coming back to it rather than spending an hour writing a hundred words leave it think about it let it fester in my brain come back and then smash out a thousand words in an hour because I'd already thought about it so much that I knew that I I had the information there I just needed to translate it to myself I feel like I just that's me as well like I can sit down and I struggle to get anything on paper then you go away and you just I often go back to reading and I'll go back and I'll read something else and then bam it falls literally that's it yeah again transition spaces just being able to go you know what it's not working out for me right now invest my energy into something else come back you totally have to plan ahead to do that though you can't oh yeah you can't you, you can't do it at the last minute like you can't just type it all up and expect i didn't get great marks don't get me wrong i'm not a star student but i just i just was i guess i had a goal and a focus so it's quite easy for me to be like you know what this is just we just got to get this done it's only three years pump through it it'll all be okay servo work is interesting work though Again, people, people from all are, walks of life. 1am are interesting humans. They are. They definitely are. But they're humans. So yeah. I guess, you know, you'd be surprised how different somebody can treat, will, will react to you when you treat them in a positive way, yeah. I mean, that's, and that's the thing that I, like, I always try and reinforce is that when you're in situations where, which are full of difficulties or conflicts or you have to know who you are going into that situation and make your choice about how you're going to present in that situation yeah definitely you've got to i guess be confident in yourself and know that you're not doing wrong by this person and if they react negatively they react negatively something else is probably going on for them and you're the straw that broke the camel's back yeah so don't take it personally even though sometimes it might be personally directed at you you just need to just take a step step back and go you know what okay fair enough let it out that's cool like whatever but at the end of the day i've got my own stuff going on and i need to focus on that so letting you affect me ultimately isn't going to help me get to what i want to do did you have a favorite subject difficult one I've really enjoyed your subject last session. Yeah. Which was? The trauma one. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. A lot, it's interesting because I'm sitting here just saying a lot of stuff and I'm thinking, 
That's all trauma-informed. It's all trauma-informed. And working in the industry I'm working in, trauma-informed practice very much. So I would say that one, uh, all of the Indigenous subjects, again, I can't... I cannot express how important that stuff was in sort of shifting how I did stuff, like Mm -hmm. how I did my research and things like that and just being more, I guess, conscious of the world around me from a different perspective. And then so many, honestly, like the (laughs) introductions to policy and stuff like that. (laughs) (laughs) We're just like, oh, just feed me. Um, But like, um, yeah, it was all... I wouldn't say it was all great. There was, obviously, but that's that's university, that's study. I didn't like that. Yeah. Cool, I did it. I'm probably not going to do it again. I'm not going to think about that. Like, I I may have not enjoyed that, or but I've actually got a lot out of it. Wow, that's such an interesting topic. I want to know more about it, even though I struggled to get through it. So it's all about, I guess, adapting to what's going on and being like, just absorb everything that you can because you never know what you're going to use later down the line that you never thought about using at the time. Yeah. So I'm going to make a wild assumption here and please correct me if I'm wrong. You don't have Indigenous heritage? No, I don't. No. What's it like being a white dude in the Ujuru space? Very um, welcoming and opening, yeah. All of, the, all of the lecturers and all of the tutors and everything are really, I guess, accommodating to having non-First Nations voices in the room because it's, I think, and again, I don't know because I don't work in this space, but I think a lot of it is trying to get people to adjust their perspective mm. on Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander culture beyond what they see in the news and on the TV to how things are like. Mm. And the amazing research that's been done in that space and the um, amazing, like a lot of the... I think in the first subject I did, I can't remember what it was named, but, like, we had to find references from First Nations academics. Wow. You didn't realise how hard that was until you tried to do it. (laughs) And at that point you realise there's all of these voices in this space, but a lot of them aren't First Nations voices. Mm -hmm. They're, They're not. They're Western voices. So it's like, although they're doing great research and it's very exciting and stuff like that, it's always going to be from a Western perspective with a Western standpoint. And when you see those standpoints sort of be acknowledged and then it's moved forward from that, that's when you really get into like, oh, wow, this is like really amazing, like research that these First Nations academics are doing like on the field and stuff mm. like that. And then that, a lot of, I think I had one subject, I don't know what it, it was, oh, it's all about, I did a bunch of stuff about fire. Because and this was just after the bushfires mm. in two thousand nineteen, so it was like very relevant topic. It was like really built up, and just the some of the research into how different uh, like traditional First Nations practices are versus the way that we manage fire as Western people, and I guess those philosophies that have been adapted from Europe, which don't apply to this. <laughs> I just said you had yeah, and even just, like, the seasonal, like, how we do things, when we do things, the level to which we do things, how we look at it, like, it's crazy to think that lighting a fire in summer is a positive thing until you look at some research that shows that it actually can be beneficial in the right circumstances and in the right context. 
But if you were to go to down to a person on the street and go, I want to light a fire in summer, they'd tell you that you're absolutely insane. Yeah. Like, why would you want to light a fire in summer when actually, depending on the environment and and everything that goes into it, like, it could actually be a positive outcome. I mean, it's really interesting because we don't generally think of fire as a justice issue, but it is a justice issue in terms of recognition and respect for traditional knowledges, the impact of fire when we don't recognise and respect traditional knowledges and land management and the impact that that has on all of us and Mm. the increasing, I guess, occurrence of mismanaged fires in global warming and environment destruction are all directly justice areas and that knowledge that was not presented to you in terms of this is a justice subject yeah is so translatable into thinking yeah and i think that's the really amazing thing about those subjects is how they transfer to different fields when you don't think about like how it's actually going to transfer into the field so that was a big thing for me that i take out of it is like yeah like even though that what I was studying wasn't directly associated with what I'm planning on doing. It's still very relevant way of thinking and and sort of what's going on in that space is still relevant mm-hmm. in another space and transferring that knowledge. That knowledge transference is so important for justice professionals, I think, to be able to take bits and pieces of knowledge and understand how they fit within a justice sphere. Do you have a favourite theorist theory? Oh, now you're pushing me. <laughs> it was six months ago. Oh, six months ago. I oh, pushed all that information. Um, I guess it, one that always stuck with me was the labelling theory one. And I'd never thought about like the way that we apply labels, not just to like criminal element, but mm-hmm. just to society in general and how that impacts people like I've always been skinny and I've always been referred to as skinny so I never saw myself as another thing as skinny and then at some point during like doing labelling theory I was like am I skinny because I've been told that I'm skinny (laughs) or am I just lanky because of my genetics (laughs) turns out I was lanky because of my genetics but like it's it's such a different way like to think about like how every it's going to be really weird and we're going to bring this around to bruce lee at this point but i'm so into it like spelling words are spells how you talk to people and the way that you communicate with people has an impact on them consciously and subconsciously that they take with them Mm. so by labeling someone a deadbeat an offender which is old terminology that we used to use a criminal nothing scum junkie all of these things what how is that person going to view themselves any other way than that and then when people start to treat them slightly differently it becomes i've been treated this way because i'm this Mm. i am this i will be this and once you start to i guess pro-socially model for them and say no wait like you have so much to give like that you can actually contribute to this world in a really positive way you're not this you're actually this okay 
maybe I am like that. Oh, this person's treating, like, treating me really nice today. Maybe it's because I'm this. Mm. And then it becomes, oh, I am this. And then it's <laughs> it's a slow process and people work through things in different way, but the way that you communicate to people has a profound effect on them going forward. Even if it's a one-off, it it sticks and it stays. And if it's reinforced continuously by society, how is that person going to view themselves any other way other than that? I mean, I'm going to nerd out with you for a minute over labelling theory. Because the thing that I love about labelling theory is that it looks at the way that systems apply labels. So it's not just about the individual. Like It's not just about me calling you skinny. It's the way that the system has been set up to value skinny people over other types of people and then in the criminal elements how criminal justice systems are set up to reinforce that negative label or that particular label and it becomes the self-fulfilling prophecy and that's a cognitive shortcut right so it's easier for my brain to go I'm a junkie than for my brain to go I've got a whole bunch of complex traumas that have led to me using substances as a way to disassociate from my existence so I can survive and that junky cognitive distortion is reinforced over and over and over and there is beauty in understanding how the systems how systems reinforce that and how systems inform that to then be able to look for that complexity behind that I think is a really beautiful thing yeah definitely like you don't you don't realise the scope of the world around you until you actually sit down and look at it. And I guess that's where my little policy nerd life comes through is, like, there's all of these systems in place. And, like, you can contribute to the system or you can be a part of the system or you can disassociate from the system. But regardless, the system is going to be there. Yeah. So how do you operate within that system to make a difference? Insert human. Insert human. <laughs> so simple. I love that. So, I guess, what are your top tips for students in surviving as an undergrad? Planning. Again, get that whiteboard. Write down what you've got to do. Map it out. This thing is... Uh, this assignment is 2,500 words. This assignment's 1,500 words, but it's due sooner. Start the 2,500 word assignment. <laughs> then do the 1,000 word assignment. Don't try to do too much. Don't overburden yourself. Acknowledge that you are human and you will struggle. And the struggle is real. Mm. But it's also a struggle that every single person is going through on some level. And you're not alone. Support is out there to speak to. If you don't have that close person that you can speak to, talk to your peers. And you don't have to be like, unload everything on them but just be like instead of acting like you know being okay to go you know what i don't know i need help with that because i do not understand this at all and this is week two and this is the building block for the entire subject and if i don't understand this in eight weeks i'm not going to understand anything being okay to reach out for help and barraging your lecturers with emails when you need support because ultimately they want to help you 100 we want to help you and that's totally what we're here for and i'm going to tell you a little secret often like we're trying to figure stuff out too <laughs> we, we don't have all the answers and you know 
I've had to come to a point in my life where I'm incredibly comfortable with going, you know what, I don't know. But I'll try and figure it out and I'll find an answer and I think that's just a normal part of human existence, the I don't know. So let's help each other figure out knowing. Mm. What's your thoughts on helping justice students understand the translation of what they're learning into what they will do in their future professional experiences? It's probably hard to tell when you're writing an essay and you're like, what is the purpose of this assignment? makes no sense. How am I going to apply this in the real world? Think about what you're learning. So unfortunately, doing the assessments is you applying your knowledge, but getting that knowledge. So doing your readings, listening to your lectures, if you can't be there in person, listen to them. You have infinite hours in the day where you could listen to these lectures on transit work an hour on a walk however you want to go about it and just being i guess i don't know like it seems like what you're doing doesn't have a real world application at the time and then you go into the real world and you go okay yes i don't need to write 75 paragraphs to get my point across but those assignments actually help me to break information down succinctly and to think about things critically. Critical thinking, oh no, horrendous. It's actually really important in the real world because you're always analysing what's going on around you and you have to make a decision because it's your professional judgement ultimately that is going to be held accountable mm-hmm. for the decision that you're making. And having defensible decision-making is predicated on knowing that you understand what you're doing and that you're applying your skills to that situation. So I know it seems tough at the time, but it's all worth it in the end. I love that. Hayden, I'm so just joyous and proud of your current (laughs) life position and the way that you approach your work. And I really... Like I am. I'm proud that you're one of our graduates because I think you're doing beautiful, meaningful things and um, I, pr- I appreciate you being out there doing that stuff. And thank you for being on How To Academia. That's all right. Thank you for having me. You are so welcome. This podcast was hosted and produced by the excellent Dr Jodie Deeth. Editing by Kelsey Adams. That's me. Music by Poddington Bear, and this podcast was developed with support from the Queensland University of Technology. Thank you for listening.